You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. Welcome to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast, and we're talking about the mystery of the church. And we are very near the end of this, just two lessons left, but we can't finish it until we take a look at the seven churches of Asia Minor that are spoken to by Jesus directly in the book of Revelation. So I want you to look at what uh, John wrote. This is Revelation chapter 10. He said in, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1 and verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book. Send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now these were seven real churches, not symbolic. They really existed in Asia Minor at the time John received the revelation. However, each one of these churches was a symbol of a later period of the church age that was to come. And that church had a characteristic of the age, a whole age that would come after this. And so this is the reason that these seven churches <coughs> were picked. There were other churches in the region that didn't make it into this. <coughs> and the reason is because these church churches had the characteristics that Christ wanted to address and talk to. And so that's why we have the seven of them. These letters were addressed to the angels of the church. And the word angel here means messenger. And uh, sometimes that word uh, is used of a human being. It's not always a supernatural being. So in this instance, the, the letters were written to the messengers of the churches. These churches are being chastened by Christ for their works. Now this is interesting. On 12 occasions in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus talks to them about their works. 12 is the number of government. And so he's saying your works are on trial. That's why there are 12 people in a jury. Uh, it was affected by the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It was stamped upon the Western culture that 12 was the number of government. So when a trial was called, there had to be 12 in the council. And so uh, the works are what is being tried when 12 works appear in uh, these chapters, it tells us then that it is the works that are on trial, not necessarily the believers themselves. We are not saved by works, and we have salvation by faith, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's Ephesians 2.8. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if you have been saved, you're going to have good works. It's impossible for you not to have good works. When you have heart change, you're going to have good works. But, but that still doesn't mean you're perfect. But your, your works do not determine your eternal destiny. It is your faith that made that change. Now in this, Christ warns people that they are going to lose certain things. They're going to lose rewards 
if they don't overcome, if they don't get these things fixed. And I also believe that there were people present in these churches who were not saved at all. And it was because the church leadership was so weak that being born again was not always what brought people to the church. They may have come for social reasons, other reasons. Some were sent by the enemy to corrupt people. Listen to this. Uh, Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Thyatira, he says, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Well, I can tell you this right now. Satan sent that woman to the church. I've, I've heard stories of this. I, I remember uh, uh, years ago there was a pastor out in a California city uh, who had been seduced by a woman who was sent by the devil to seduce pastors. And she was a beautiful lady. And she went in and asked for a counseling appointment. The pastor foolishly met with her without another woman present, without someone on his staff or his wife present. And the woman was very beautiful and was able to seduce this pastor. He had an affair with her. Uh, he eventually died prematurely. Sad thing. And, uh, but, but what happened is this woman did this two or three times. And she was sent by the devil into the church. And that's what happens. When there's weak leadership... Uh, Satan will send his people into the midst of God's people. We like to think that we're so full of the power of the Holy Spirit the devil would never come around us. Listen, we are sheep, and anytime you gather together a, a flock of sheep, the dogs are going to show up, the wolves are going to show up, the coyotes, the jackals, the bobcats, the mountain lions. All the predators show up when the sheep are assembled. That's why it takes a strong shepherd to keep the sheep safe. And when you have a strong shepherd, these rascals don't get uh, to do what they want to do. Uh, another reason that I know that we're in the church age is that Jesus uses this expression over and again. He says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, Jesus never said that when he was on the earth. When he was in his bodily ministry on planet earth, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you. But now that he is in heaven and the Holy Spirit is the one working in the church on earth, he says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That tells me it's also the church age. So we have this period of time here represented by these seven churches that covers all 2,000 years of the church age. And I'm going to give you the names of these churches, a basic rundown of what they stood for, what they are known for, and what period of time that they represented. The first one is Ephesus. The meaning of the word Ephesus is desired, and the church was desired by God. It uh, was something that he had wanted to do. Ephesus was known for aggressive evangelism. It had no tolerance for false ministries. It was a persevering church. But Christ said, I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love. Two times Jesus tells the church at Ephesus to repent. Ephesus is typical of the church age from Pentecost 30 AD at the church's birth to 100 AD or thereabouts. And some of these periods overlap a little bit. But it's typical of the church that left its first love. The church 
again, experienced hardships, they were persecuted and so forth, and some people fell out of love with the Lord. They're, they're, they, they were no longer walking in love like they should have been. The second church is Smyrna. No rebuke to this church. Its name means myrrh. And it was a good church. It was a wonderful church, but it was persecuted ten different seasons by the Roman emperors from Nero to about 300 A.D. It was a poor church. Uh, the church that was the devil attempting to do everything in his power to shut the church out. Listen, this is really typical uh, of how Satan works. Anything that is in its infancy, that's in its birth, that's just getting going, Satan fights it the hardest. Once it's established, he changes his tactic. But this church, he was determined to run it in the ground and absolutely stomp it to death. He couldn't do it. Uh, even these 10 periods of persecution, and by the way, this is when the Christians were thrown into the lion's dens, when they were destroyed and killed in the Colosseums. They had the public education uh, executions. They were uh, uh, burned at the stake. All these horrible things happened. It was during this period. So there is no rebuke to Smyrna. Smyrna didn't need repentance. Smyrna was very faithful to the Lord. Then there is the church of Pergamos. The name of it means citadel, tower, because of the cone-shaped mountain that the city was built on. Uh, Jesus commends this church. He said, you didn't deny the faith. Uh, this also was the home of Antipas, who was a faithful martyr. Uh, tradition says he was roasted uh, by, by the persecutors in a bronze kettle, a slow roasting. They killed him that way. Uh, but Jesus rebukes them for fornication. He rebukes them because they ate meat that was sacrificed to idols. He's, and they also had the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And so they were a very worldly church. They, they had become so much like the world, they were almost imperceptible. There were a few things in them uh, that were a little different. They had a profession of faith, uh, but they were very worldly. This is like the church age from 300 to 800 A.D. And this is when the church became acceptable, about 300 A.D. A little after that, Constantine became the emperor of Rome. He became a professing Christian. Uh, Christianity was made the state religion. The persecution stopped. The church was accepted, and it came into favor. And so what happened, it took on some of the characteristics of the pagan religions, that, and it blended those things. And that's what Jesus was objecting to. Then there is the church at Thyatira. Thyatira means continual sacrifice. This is a period from 800 to about 1517 A.D. It says that they have good works, charity, faith, and patience, and more works. And uh, this church is called to repentance twice. Let me tell you why. They were working to earn their own salvation, and this is typical of the church of the Dark Ages. They were taught by the religious teachers that they had to buy their salvation and they had to earn their way into heaven. Uh, they, the, the, there was this idea introduced of purgatory. Uh, the just shall live by faith was completely lost. That wouldn't come until the next church period, which is Sardis. And that name means those escaping. Now, Sardis was accepted by the world, but it was spiritually dead. And there were only a few in the church who were found worthy. 
And they had good doctrines. Verbally, they stated them, but they weren't strong, and their works were imperfect. And this is a picture of the Reformation. This is what happened when men like Martin Luther and others begin to rediscover what the basis of faith is. We are saved by the faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are not saved by our own works. And in the beginning, there were very few people preaching this, but it eventually took root. It started in 1517 and it ran into the 1700s. Uh, America was founded because of this movement. The pilgrims came to America for this very reason, to get away from this dead, dead state church that did not have any life. They were coming to express a vibrant faith in God. It led to the next church, which is Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. There is no repentance called for for this church. Uh, it and Smyrna are the two that have no repentance needed. Uh, here are its characteristics. There was an open door for this church, which means that they had great opportunity for evangelism. Uh, they also had the key of David given to the church. The key of David is the ability to change governments. This is a church that has great power in prayer, and rulers are raised up and set down because of this church. It's a church that is preaching. Also, this church is uh, struggling against the synagogue of Satan. There are people who claim to be Jews who have no real faith. They will be humbled in this era. Also, this church is told, hold on to your crown. Don't lose your authority. This is a church that has great authority. It is the true church of the last days, and also it is saved from the tribulation. And I want to read that to you. Uh, he said, because you have kept my command to persevere, Revelation 3.10, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, earlier I, I just said that Smyrna was not called to repentance. It was a godly church, as is Philadelphia. But Jesus didn't say anything to the church at Smyrna about being kept from the hour of trial, which comes on the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. This is a reference to the tribulation period. And so this tells me that this idea that these churches are typical of certain periods of time, it's valid because this promise was not given to Smyrna. Why? They lived at the wrong time. But the church of Philadelphia is on the earth when the church escapes the tribulation. And that's why they are given this promise here in Revelation 3.10. Then there is the last of the churches, Laodicea. The word means rule of the people. It was a church that was lukewarm. Laodicea did not have a good water supply. Uh, so their water had to be brought from several miles away, and it was done through an aqueduct. And so because the water came over such a long distance down this aqueduct, it was heated. So the water was lukewarm. It wasn't a hot spring, which gave great healing uh, to people, and it wasn't cold where it was refreshing. He said, you're lukewarm. You don't refresh and you don't heal. And so there was no vibrancy in this church. It was a lukewarm church. It's rebuked for that. It was a rich church, but it was also blind, blind because of, of its, its 
its ease and its wealth, very full of pride, very smug. And uh, Christ said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He was on the outside of this church. They wouldn't let him in. They, his presence was not known in this church. This is the apostate church. A couple of lessons ago I talked about a church that apostatizes, so this would be it. This church is commanded to repent. So we have these seven churches, and the Laodiceans are the last one, and it's typical of a professing group of people who are on the earth at the end. I believe also that Philadelphia is here at the end, but not for the tribulation period. Apparently Laodicea does go through it. Now, the word church or ecclesia does not appear again on earth after chapter 3. So when you get into all the plagues and the judgments and you see the Antichrist, you never see any church mentioned. In fact, the word church is not mentioned till the end when paradise is restored on earth. And it's only mentioned once in Revelation chapter 22. So the positioning of these churches on earth is before the tribulation. Now having said all of that, Every one of us as individuals will have to face these judgments of works. And this is consistent with what the New Testament teaches. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, 20th century New Testament. For at the bar of the Christ we must all appear in our true characters, that each may reap the results of the life which he has lived in the body, uh, in accordance with his actions, whether good or worthless. So I'm going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive judgments for my works, not for whether or not I'm saved, but for the things that I've done. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. This is from 26 translations. I say only this, said Paul, let the builder be careful how he builds, for there is no other base for the building but that which has been put down, for it is Jesus Christ himself. Whatever is used... By those who build on this foundation, stones of great price, wood, dry grass, cut stems, the character of each one's work will come to light, for the day will show it plainly enough. For the day will arise in a blaze of fire, and the fire will test the quality of everyone's work. Doesn't test whether or not you're saved. Doesn't test whether or not you've got life of God in you. It's your work that will be judged. He whose building stands unharmed shall receive payment for his labor. He whose work is burned shall forfeit his reward, but himself shall be saved like a man escaping through a wall of flames. So... This idea of the judgment seat of Christ is pictured really in these words to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And they are being told by Jesus, I'm going to judge your works. In fact, I'm dealing with you even now. And I do believe that. I believe God deals with us even while we're in this life. Now later on, we'll have to give account directly for those things. But God judges. I've seen God do things with certain people. I knew a man who had great influence in a city, wonderful influence in a city, but he began to compromise. God led him. I saw it happen. God led him to a particular part of town where his influence was minimized. And his ministry never took off again after that. It's because he had actually gotten harmful. And so God 
put him in a place where he couldn't do that much harm. And so I've seen that happen over the years, how God would guide people, lead people to places where they had no more influence or their influence was lessened. And that's a certain type of judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told that when we take communion, we are to examine ourselves and judge ourselves because if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. And that's the wonderful thing about having God's Spirit with us and the ability to search our own hearts, to repent, to examine ourselves, we can do that and keep ourselves from experiencing things that we really shouldn't go through. Well, that's all the time I have for today, but we're not done. We've got one more lesson left. We'll pick it up tomorrow. I'll see you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.